0: on how education can be improved to disrupt the status quo of healthcare education. This is our journey, and thanks for listening. Hey everybody, thank you for listening to the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast as we greatly appreciate your support to help us advance healthcare education. We are very happy to announce that we have created a new tool to help develop clinicians into better experts. With that being said, we have created the HET Light tool, which "light" stands for Learning, Integrated Towards Expertise. And what we've done is we've taken our first year's worth of episodes with experts in the fields of healthcare and education, and we've taken one golden nugget or theory on expertise and presented it to you in a very easily consumable format so that people can take one lesson or nugget per week and map out and plan how to incorporate it into your clinical and educational practices. And by the end of the year, we think you'll be pleasantly surprised at how far you've progressed towards becoming an expert. To find out more, please check it out at pteducator.com slash H E T, which is also available in our show notes. Thank you again all for your continued support and now for the show.
1: Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast. I'm your host, F. Scott Field, and as always I'm joined by my co-host Brandon Pone. Today, we have an amazing guest for you as we welcome to the show Dr. Kelly Sturet. Dr. Kelly Sturet is the author of the New York Times bestseller, Becoming a Supple Leopard, which has revolutionized how coaches, athletes, and everyday humans approach movement and athletic performance. It is also the recommended supplemental reading for the Movement and Mobility 101 course. Dr. Sturet is a co-founder of San Francisco CrossFit and MobilityWOD.com, where he shares his innovative approach to movement, mechanics, and mobility with coaches and athletes. He travels around the world teaching his wildly popular movement and mobility course and works with elite Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, and Coast Guard forces, as well as athletes from the NFL, NBA, NHL, and MLB. And national world-ranked strength and power F starts with Olympic teams and universities and is a featured speaker at strength and conditioning conferences worldwide. Dr. Stratt's work is not limited to coaches and athletes. His methods apply equally as well to children, desk jockeys, and anyone dealing with injury and chronic pain. He believes that every human being should know how to move and be able to perform basic maintenance on themselves. Kelly, first off, I just want to thank you so much for coming on the show today. We're so thrilled to have you on, and I realize we kept your bio relatively brief, but is there anything else that you'd like the audience to know about you that we might have left out of the introduction?
2: I'm a great dancer. I think that's always overlooked. That kind of bums me out sometimes. It doesn't make into the official bio, my dancing abilities. But also... You know, my, we have a nonprofit we started a couple of years ago called Stand Up Kids. And it is, as hopefully as we wrap and warp into this and talk about how we're going to swallow and take on the considerable challenges of healthcare that we have to, this could be a, one of the models for uh, making change.
0: No, I think that's great, Kelly. And you know, I must say, I also don't have any dance moves at all, but you know what? I just get out there, move, and you know, that's all that matters. So you got to just, <laughs> just, just got to go with it and care what people think, right? But that's, that's right. Yeah. So, you know, Kelly, do you think you could kind of tell our audience a little bit about kind of, you know, your educational background and kind of how it led you to kind of where you're at today with everything?
2: Well, the short story is that I came out of a generation of athletes that where the model was more movement, just train more, more sports. We didn't have very much formal movement training or education around gymnastics or the fundamentals of Pilates or yoga. Or even, you know, weightlifting. Well, turns out that we just outworked everyone and that worked for a while, certainly. And that got a lot of us a long way. In fact, if you talk to some of the old coaches around Olympic lifting, the model is lift till you break, back off, lift a little more, back, break, back off, come a little more. And hopefully every time we go further. So I was paddling on the national team. That was my dream in life to, uh, paddle in circles. It's like standing in, if you've never seen whitewater slalom before, it's like standing in a shower, ripping up $20 bills. And, um, one day my hand went numb and I couldn't turn my head and I was weak and I had all these, these issues and pain. And that my, my national team career came to a screeching halt at that moment. And it really led me, you know, my, my father's a physician, my mom's a psychologist and, In retrospect, I can clearly see that I had 20 red flags going on that I ignored because again, it was just about who can do the most work. And that led me down, frankly, a pathway of, of, you know, shotgun approach of being a, being a desperate athlete, trying to put out the flames and get back to what is I knew that I needed to do. And I was willing to sell my soul to the devil for that. And prednisone dose packs and cortisone shots and MRIs and acupuncture and massage and, you know, the whole thing. And it just turned out I had a really bad overuse injury. And, you know, fast forward six months, I start to heal. Everything's going well. Fast forward another year and I'm training again for a world championships. And I meet my wife in Chile in a different whitewater sport and I moved to San Francisco and, while I'm out surfing at Ocean Beach, I have a moment of Satori and I realize that I need to go to physio school. And so I, you know, it was really just, you know, it was so clear that I need to go to physio school. And in my first semester of physio, I discovered this, this little ho dunk website called CrossFit. And there were five CrossFit affiliates in the world. And I saw the writings of this coach there and I really reconciled what I understood about myself. And the truth of training and being, being skilled mover and being competent. And it turned out when I took my movement skill set, not my capacity to suffer, but I took my movement skill set to these, the foundations and, and fundamentals of these positions. I was terrible. I didn't know anything about Olympic lifting. I didn't know anything about gymnastics or powerlifting or running. I, you know, I had positions I couldn't adopt. And, and I realized one is that I was fundamentally a poor mover. And I realized I was fundamentally weak and not very well conditioned, which was a shock being a national champion and a superstar in my own brain. And that all happened at the same time that I was in a first semester physio school and really struggled to reconcile then what I was seeing and the exposure I had to these national level movement coaches in these different disciplines and what really I was learning as a young physio and trying to match the gap between rehab and performance. And out of that struggle – you know, um, I opened a CrossFit gym my second my second year of of physio school, which I don't recommend to anyone. And you know, <laughs> we took, my wife was an attorney, which is very useful, and she's a world champion. And she uh, she funded uh, CrossFit as long and as as well did one of my private student loans. And um, one of the things that I discovered very early on was that I was never going to get the pattern recognition that I needed to become an excellent clinician. Without just being an excellent clinician for years. I mean, it just takes years. But in school, all suddenly I was coaching hundreds of athletes a week in these fundamental movement positions that were the really the root language for all athleticism. Deadlift, squat, push, pull, pull up, press, right? Tumble, front rolls. And lo and behold, I started to see patterns very, very early. And remember, you know, I think we really need to be able to go from cause to effect and effect back to cause. And that's really tricky. But I remember one day when I was working with one of my friends who was trying out, she was actually, a, she's a national record holder in, in weightlifting. And she was a, having a hard time overhead and I did a rib spring on her and a little behold, she, boom, she just was able to, to, you know, receive her position. And no one in my school, and I went, I went to a really good school called uh, Samuel Merritt here in Oakland. With really, really excellent, uh, clinicians, just a fantastic school, heavy ma- Maitland school attached to the World Center of PNF there at Kaiser Vallejo. And, um, no one was mobilizing for position. No one was mobilizing for performance. No one was sort of applying the, the tool shed that we had as physios. And I remember mobilizing an MMA guy in my first, you know, job and and realizing that, boy, if I did hip quadrant on him, I could get him into better guard position, even though his hip wasn't pathological. He wasn't there for that. And he didn't even have pain in his hips. He just couldn't get into the position. And I started to see this dissociation between, you know, how we would clear the shoulder when we're looking at neck, you know, overpress the shoulder into flexion external rotation. And I started to see the similarities between the language we were using in strength conditioning and the assessments around normal range of motion, except we weren't trained as physios or I wasn't trained as a physio to assess full range, especially when it wasn't the problem. And what we started to recognize is in the gym, we started to think about how we could get athletes to start sort of perseverating on positional quality and positional capacity as much as load, speed, time, duration, endurance. And literally, when we put, started putting people into better positions, their, their position, competency improved, and lo and behold, their wattage improved, their outputs improved. And there was no dissociation between restoring normal range of motion in the joints and restoring tissue function to, uh, I didn't have to, I didn't have to, you know, make a compromise. That full physiologic expression of any joint motion by Norkin and Wider, or, you know, whoever you want to talk about, turns out that's what good motion looks like expressed in the techniques of any high-level sport. And suddenly I I started to realize that, hey, maybe the interventions need to look like part of the training so that the diagnostic stimulus, the diagnostic tool is also the stimulus for adaptation so that we could understand in real time if an athlete was missing position and we could do something about it in real time. So we were much more closely conjoining this deficits of movement competency with the training, and what suddenly what happened was that you know I realized that hey I don't have to do hip quadrants on someone we can use a band and create hip quadrant for themselves, and what we started to see was that we could apply a lot of the tools and thinking and rubric around joint mechanics and tissue mechanics, Thomas Myers at all, and we were able to improve our athletes' function, and and suddenly this is why I started caring about feet and why I started caring about posture and breathing and all the other issues, not because we thought that they would would inoculate athletes from injury, even though better function and was more resilient and the spine had a a better shape in which its geometry would handle load. But we saw that if we made this conversation about positional competency, we got injury prevention in the bargain. But what we had was that athletes who could perform better, longer, et cetera, et cetera. And that's, that's really how we got here.
1: Yeah, it's pretty amazing how that all kind of comes together like that. You know, one thing just kind of falls in line with the other when you really just take a step back and look at the general movement patterns and stuff.
2: The question is, you know, how I didn't certainly, when working at Kaiser in 30-minute vows, I didn't really have a chance to, you know, resolve people's dysfunctions. You know, I got them pain-free and independent, but that was far cry from restoration of baseline human function.
1: Right. And I think that that's kind of the approach we need to be taking moving forward is just, you know, the bigger picture, like, yeah, the pain's gone and, and you know, the issue's not there anymore. But what are the other things that are going on that, that may be, you know, in, impeding their lifestyle? And, and even worse, what is just waiting to happen because of these underlying issues that aren't, you know, we didn't even maybe address? Um, like you well, said, prevention how- kind of comes.
2: Yeah, and that's that regional interdependency, right? That I'm not going to ever get your full hip extension back unless you clear your dorsiflexion, right? Right, right? I mean, 101, comma, you just laid it on. And you can see how we're suddenly stumbling over ourselves a little bit because what we have is the tishuous, you know, It's all mechanics, et cetera, et cetera. But realizing that we have to address sleep and nutrition and lifestyle and stress and habitus and shoe wear and how you carry your purse and, and who, do we have time to put out the flames, right? Get someone moving again, not, you know, in, in, introduce fearful, fear-based language, but empower people and talk to them about sleep hygiene. I mean, it's, it's an insane task. And the real question is, hey, that environmental load, that biopsychosocial component, is important and helps to explain why sometimes people get away with things and sometimes they don't. And that means that the scope of physio has to expand to include these conversations. And when the heck are we going to have these conversations with our with our patients?
1: Yeah, yeah, it, it has to be now. I mean, there's no there's no doubt. But Kelly, uh, let, let's kind of start with a topic that is near and dear to our hearts here on this podcast, and that is education, right? you're doing a lot of innovative things to help educate the masses on several health-related topics through several different meetings, right? Could, could you tell us a little bit about why you decided to dive into the digital content and digital education and kind of how MobilityWide came to be?
2: Yeah, well, you know, realizing that, you know, you can't always bring Mohammed to the mountain. Sometimes you have to bring <laughs> mountain to Mohammed. You know, we started realizing that as a coach and as a physio, you know what we were seeing is that I was talking to a lot of coaches who did not have what Greg Cook calls even movement vital signs, right They had memorized you know the steps to these different dances. This is the deadlift dance. this is the overhead squat dance this is you know and it was like we'd memorized these positions, but people couldn 't see how the patterns interrelated they couldn't see when people were missing positions and they couldn't understand why a handstand was just as, as excellent a diagnostic tool as is, you know, pressing or swimming, you could, you know, or pull up, you could see all of that. And so we started um, a, a coach's course, athlete course, and that was our original mobility course. And that was taught 10 years ago. And I'll say physios have been using the word mobilization forever, but the word mobility was not a very, very popular word. And that was, we, I chose that word on purpose versus stretching and flexibility. And we started traveling the country and, you know, this was 10 years ago. And literally, I'd be like, this is your hip, and this is pigeon, which is flexion, external rotation. And these, you know, started to have initial conversations about capsule and soft tissue work and mobilization. And people were like, wow, my hip, my pain is gone. And I PR'd on my deadlift. And I was like, wow, the bar is really low in the, in the coaching community. And the internet really, I mean, YouTube was a new phenomenon. You know, when I started putting up, you know, I, I would come home and tell my wife, I was like, you know, because I had a, I had a gym practice, so we were having, we had hundreds of athletes, thousands of athlete hours a week, just, you know, lots and lots and lots of athletes coming through, and then I also had a physio practice at the gym, and I would come home and I'd say, Juliet, you know, I, I there's only like 10 problems, <laughs> you know, and I'm like, why did this person take, you know, a, get a doctor's prescription to come see me so that I could tell him that he was missing terminal knee extension? And his quads were tight. You know what I mean? Like, or quads were stiff. Like, well, I know, you're, this person's missing hip extension. Like, that's not skilled care to understand that you can't get into these shapes. Especially when that athlete was already lunging and doing all the things that they, to use their hip in the first place. And lo and behold, one day, I sort of was like, all right, I'm just going to take this on. It was pretty was. Pred- I wrote, there was a time in my life where I wrote a poem a day for a year. And I told my wife, I said, look, I'm going to make a video a day for a year. And let's see if we can, we can just get people spun up a little bit so that when they come to see me, they have a language. I can say, what have you been doing to improve your positions or to make yourself feel better? And that we could at least not have to start from zero every single time. And, uh, I thought, you know, by the time I get 365, I won't have anything else to say. YouTube was new. I started a blog on Blogspot and I started a, you know, just conversation. And the first conversation was, Hey, if the squatting position and pattern are vital to back health and hip health and ankle health and knee health, and why don't we just start by spending time in the positions we're trying to improve? And that was the 10 minute squat test, which is, you know, if you've ever been to Asia, man, squatting turns out to be pretty important to do things like take a poop and eat dinner, right? Build fires. And, um, lo and behold, I mean, the first I had to, the iPhone wasn't really out and the iPhone didn't have a video camera and you know, I was filming these on a little Casio and then I download them and upload them. And, and, uh, we just started talking about what we were seeing and we were really transparent in our practice. So we, we, you know, I was able to whip out my phone eventually within that first year and, and make videos of how we were moving and how we were coaching movement and how we were restoring movement. And, and all of our friends, it was very topical and very timely. And I told one friend about this project. And that was how Mobility WAD was born. You know, and WAD stands for workout of the day. It's a, it's cross terminology. And when we started this, no one was using the word mobility. No one was using the word WAD that I thought I was so clever. And now there's a WAD for everything, literally. And, and that's how it started. So we started working, you know, in this video platform and we never thought it would be a website or monetized. And subsequently, though, as the world progressed, it became more sophisticated. We realized that we could do a better job of serving people by having them come, by teaching them in their homes, by helping coaches and physios and athletes be able to begin to resolve some of their movement dysfunctions and work on performance if we gave them better tools. And that's, that's really the, the genesis of this whole thing. We started Mobility Walk Proper in 2010. And, uh, you know, I still seem to have lots to say.
0: Yeah, no, I love it. And I think you bring up a lot of important points there. And I think a big one is seeing what technology has really led us to do. And, but you know, with that putting out content, we also want to see what that leads to. So kind of my next question is, you know, are you seeing good compliance with the online video content you put out? And if so, why do you think that is? Because I think, I think many medical professionals have a lot of issue with patient compliance. And, you know, are there any tips that to improve that would benefit our audience that you could think of?
2: That's a really good question. And what I'll say is that compliance isn't even the right word, right? It's adherence. And the issue is, you know, what we have found particularly with motivated, our population is highly motivated. And one of the things that's nice about working in this population is that people will do what works and they don't do what doesn't work. They'll stop it right away. So if if people are getting progress in their positions if we speak to their ego and to what's important to them, AAKA, how you were trained as a physio or a physician in the first place, you know, what are your goals? <laughs> like, what do you want to get out of this? What's important to you? How do you see yourself in your society? What what are our useful metrics? Well it turns out that for a lot of people that's you know, I want to squat more, run faster, I want to I want my shoulders not to hurt when I do push ups or swim. And those are all reasonable things. So, you know, what what we realized is that we needed to give people better tools and to shift positional competency into part of the conversation on the gym. So to date, what, you know, I love when people, you know, you know, we always say, "Hey, look, you can fool some people sometime, but you can't fool all the people all the time," right? And that's shorthand for the fact that um, we have really excellent adherence and large fellowship because what we do works in the context of the training environment, and it's really practicable so that if I, for example, one of the things that we do on the site is we have a, I've been programming daily positional quality workouts forever, right? We, I call them position transfer exercises. So they're not, it's not a home exercise program. These are position transfer exercises to get you into better shapes so that you can go move more effectively. And what we're, what we realized is that, you know, when I did my original case study, what I did was looked at barriers to adherence. And if we're talking about trying to get people to do the things that they know, then we have to think about where are we delivering those? How does this fit into someone's life? And are they going to be adherent? And if I give you 30 minutes of exercises to do that you don't think are going to work or aren't inspiring or, you know, then what we know is we have really, really crap adherence. And ultimately it's come down to we feel like if we can have 10 minute interventions at the gym and 10 minute intervention, interventions, uh, theoretically at home, before people go to sleep, then what we found is we had big areas of opportunity to improve positions and tissue health and mechanics and motor control. And subsequently, that, that dose response over seven days a week was, was significant enough to really get people out of pain and to improve their positional quality. And So some of it is not that the tools haven't been there. I mean, myofascial release has been around since there were human beings working on humans, But where we deliver that and how we deliver that is as important as what we deliver.
1: Yeah, that's a great take on it, Kelly. You know, we had Danny Matei on this show recently, so I got to give him a shout out for this next question and the inspiration behind it. But could you tell our audience a little bit um, about your wife, Juliette, and her role in your business? Because I follow you both on social media and it kind of seems like, you know, a great display of teamwork, but I kind of got to give credit where credit's due. It seems like Juliette is the rock star there. No offense, my friend. Oh,
2: there's no, no offense taken. You know, um Juliet is a, is a formal, she's a two-time world champion athlete, right? And she's my number one training partner. And then she also is a formal attorney and left her, you know, track to be a, a partner in a big law firm to run our little business. And what I'll tell you is that like so many other people, you know, my skill set wasn't in the details of business administration, long-term strategy planning that, you know, and that, and how many of us who have, you know, the dream of opening our own clinic or having our own gym or, or starting our own business, you know, haven't been classically trained in that. But Juliet turns out not only is she really good at it, but, um, you know, she's, she's a force and really lucky. I mean, I am this, none of this exists without. Hey, Juliet, and now our incredible staff who, uh, you know, we have so many smart people trying to, uh, keep the lights on that, um, I'm very, very lucky. You know, there was this article not, that came out not too long ago. This is about the sort of the, the, the BS notion of, uh, the lone, the lone savant, the lone genius. And I'm definitely not painting myself that picture, but they point out that most of good advancement happens as a dyad. And what I'll tell you is that I'm very, very lucky to be work with my rock star, brilliant wife because she is just a force. And then both of us have what we call really high work pain tolerances. And we have the flexibility with our family and the way this works and to be at the right place at the right time to, you know, continue to, to continue, continue to just move forward, you know? So um, step one, go to physio studios. Step two, marry Juliet star step three world domination. And uh, if you know, I'm just really, really lucky that uh, my partner is, is, is really as brilliant as talented as she is.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really great take, Kelly. And I think that highlights a couple of really important points for not only um, any team or any business, especially that, you know, can't do it all on your own. And I feel like you got to find people that really kind of complement your differences that are required to help push out kind of that quality product or or mission or whatever you're looking to do.
2: And I think it really, you know, it comes down to, you know, I had a semester with my dean about, you know, entrepreneurship start. We wrote a business plan and we need to think about, you know, how do we manage social media? How do you build a book of business? How, you know, we put out nearly 80, um, social media posts a week just around the business, not just our own stuff. Right. That's, and that's a big complicated masks about generating content and you know, web marketing and you know it, it is sophisticated suddenly the level of sophistication around competition has become fierce and there is very little time for you to actually treat people such as how we keep the lights on around here right we actually work with people and run the business and we need to do a much better job of teaching health you know, healthcare practitioners, how to manage this and conceptualize it and where are the hip lines and how do we, how do we communicate with patients and you know all of that? It just looks really, really different. You know, if you're still drawing stick figures of home exercise programs, you know, you have a real problem. If you're still giving out, you know, mimeographed copies from the 1970s of, you know, dead bugs, you still have a gigantic problem because that's not the way the world is working anymore. So, you know, we've got to do a better job of helping people identify the needs and then have those superstar providers, superstar practitioners be able to also be superstars and manage a business. And you can see that Danny, you know, is is a rock star completely in his own right. And then also happens to have, be married to a Wolverine.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. And, and you know, and Kelly, so I see that you guys got a lot coming down the pipeline regarding kind of CrossFit and mobility WOD. And I know you guys just started a podcast and obviously we're biased, but we'd love seeing that, of course. But, Do you think you could tell our listeners a little bit about this new podcast and kind of why you decided to do it and kind of what your vision and mission with this is?
2: Yeah. Well, you know, the first thing is we have these friends who are doing great podcasts like you guys and Danny. And, you know, I mean, we're friends with Rogan and Ferris. And, and, um, what I'll say is that we just definitely said we, we are not in the podcast business, but we were having conversations that we wanted to go a little bit deeper on that we wanted to bring in some of the, you know, show some of our work a little bit. You know, sometimes, you know, if I'm standing on this side of the elephant and I make a statement, sometimes people are like, well, you don't know because you're not on the other side of the elephant. I'm like, well, I've actually walked around the elephant 17 times today. So what I'm saying is, you know, I have more information than you may have. And some of that is, you know, pattern recognition. And some of it's just the fact that I get to work alongside everyone showing me their dirty laundry. And the conversations that we were having We wanted to be able to extend out a little bit more into the world around ideas. And so we decided that, you know, it's not really a podcast. What we'll do is we'll do sessions where we're talking around a certain idea or topic and then we'll put them all out and then we can not have to have this daily thing. I mean, I already make 14 videos. I make 140 minutes of content a week just for the the regular stuff. Plus all the other coaching, all the other things that we're doing. And what we really wanted to do is make sure that we could bring these incredible conversations that we were having around really interesting topics personally to us, you know, around how we were working, what we were thinking to just, and then let people binge on it and then go silent for a while because the podcast market is difficult and as competitive and, and tedious as any of the other businesses now. But, uh, we, we still felt like we were having, we were missing some, conversation that we were getting to have and we wanted to bring that to our friends and family
1: yeah i think you kind of summed that up nicely kelly the the conversational aspect uh, and the voice aspect and audio i mean you can put put a podcast on and go start doing the dishes or making dinner or something leave it on the background and still gain some really great knowledge from it um so i love the fact that you know or your commute to work even that's another one where i listen to them uh, you know, it's great yeah. that you can still gain that kind of knowledge. And, and even if you just pick up one or two things from, from a show, I, I mean, it's something you can do almost, you know, secondary in the background. So I, I love the podcast world for sure.
2: We are, we're our next go rounds. we're going to start to talk about pain in this from for athletic performance and not from the provider point of view necessarily. And, you know, but how do we think, how can we reconceptualize this? Because pain is part of the normal day-to-day training process here at our gym. Right. You know, we, you just can't go to the world, you know, to the Olympics to not suffer a little bit. So how do we, how do we make sense of that? And how can we reconceptualize that, that message a little bit? So, you know, this next round is going to be really interesting. You know, I have been accused of not understanding pain mechanisms and, uh, you know, that is far from the truth. So, but we have to reconcile what we know as coaches and athletes and how we think about pain. And, and frankly, you know, with this, what's going on in the world with opiates and they just made THC legal in California. And, you know, someone, we need to have a big conversation about CBD and sleep and environments. And, you know, there's, you know, we're we are now at this really interesting intersection where the internet has brought together, really stitched together these disparate fields. And if we can't come out with a better unification of understanding, then shame on us. Because for the first time in our life, we, have incredible science matched up with incredible movement practices, incredible diverse fields. And that means that we should be able to simplify the outcomes. It should be simpler for people, but it's not. It seems like it's gotten really confused and really complex. And lo and behold, you know, we have an opiate crisis. We have, you know, chronic pain and surgeries through the roof. And, you know, what is going on? Childhood obesity, I just heard yesterday, unchecked. Like we shame on us. We're going to just have to reconceptualize the whole problem. And I just personally think that the physio coach is in a great position to take a swing at improving people's, you know, life experience.
1: Yeah, for sure. I can't wait to hear those episodes, man. Looking forward to it. Well, Kelly, we cannot thank you enough for your time and for coming on the show um, and all you've done for the field of physical therapy. We like to end each episode with this question to our guests. If you could change one aspect of higher education, DPT or otherwise, what aspect would you change and how would you change it?
2: Uh, first and foremost, I would make all
1: students sleep more.
2: You would have to record your sleep because I think that the, you know, we always try to take the, the, the lessons we learn at high performance and, you know, Formula One, and we try to drag those, those experiences backwards. And, you know, what I can tell you is that sleep and sleep deprivation is chronic. And we're losing a lot of capacity because we're not sleeping well. So I think we, we should prioritize that. And then that really begins to focus about the, you know, do what I say, not what I do sort of thing. And what we have suddenly is that if practitioners were engaged and students were engaged in a movement practice and were forced to become fluent in Pilates and yoga and Olympic lifting, and they had good physical practices, like the old Russian, you know, sports science, science institutes where you had to be able to play tennis and basketball and do all these things to pass. I think if we taught the basis of nutrition as, as, as part of it, if we taught people how to manage these environmental lifestyles, then people would have experience with it and we'd be able to advance the conversation a little bit further. I think the issue is that the theoretical is not necessarily enough. To always bridge that, that gap. And, you know, and, and it's a tough one. You know, physio school is already three years. It's nine semesters. So what do you cut? I don't, I don't know. Do you make it longer? How do, how can we support the educators and the students around coming out with a little bit more diverse skill set around these movement practices, environmental lifestyle practices? I think that's a place where we can really pick up the pace a little bit and make larger inroads.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's a really good point. And especially from what we've heard from a lot of our guests kind of throughout doing the podcast is it definitely seems to be a much bigger push to even like a two year model because, you know, with how much it costs for the debt and everything like that, and then students are coming out and the salaries are kind of overall not. Really, quite that great overall, depending on just for national average. I mean, you can make what you want to make if you put in the work and you do things your own way. Yeah. But but but,
2: but you're right. you're absolutely right. I mean, I you know we're gonna have to. There's a great physio full, traditional physio practice right next to us. Uh, uh, own a woman-owned business, which is just awesome. But you know, maintaining keeping physios in in house when they have they live in San Francisco and they have over hundred thousand dollars in debt, they make seventy thousand dollars a year or six thousand dollars a year. It's just the math. This doesn't work. So. Once again, how are we going to reconceptualize that? Can we get more money for our services? I mean, are we technicians or are we skilled providers? I post, you know, postulate that we're skilled providers.
0: Yeah. No, totally. And I think that that gets to the debate of, you know, should that be in DPT schools or should that be something that's, we really cover in undergrad? That's, that kind of is another big thing to consider too.
2: I think, I think you're absolutely right there. And that's, uh, you know, it, it is, here's the issue. These, these conversations are nuanced and it's going to take time, and now we're having it, and that's great.
0: Yeah, no, totally for sure. Well, Kelly, I mean, again, thanks so much for your time with everything. It's definitely been very insightful for this interview, and I've definitely picked up a couple new things that I'm going to keep in the back of my mind and implement. Do you think you could tell our audience about where they can find you or your book or products online and on social media for if anyone wants to reach out or find out more about you?
2: Oh, sure. We're at Mobility, the word Mobility, W-O-D, Mobility Workout of the Day, mobilitywild.com. Uh, you know, if you want to see what's going on, we have, uh, you know, we do a daily performance video, which is a gym-based, so sort of positional quality video. And then we do a daily follow-along 10-minute down regulation video. You know, I think we have about 3,500 videos on the site. Uh, becoming a supple leopard. We're, our handle is at Wad, you know, and, um, So we're, we're users and we're fighting for the users because we realize that it's going to take a lot of different kinds of practitioners working on the same sets of problems with different approaches to be able to make a dent in, um, you know, in this human condition. So, you know, I'm so thrilled that there are so many bright young providers and coaches out there. And I think this is the best time. And honestly, if we don't get it done, right, you know, shame on us because we, we really have the tools for the first time in our life to, to improve people's lives.
0: Yeah, for sure. We just got to make the time and the consistent effort to change to make it happen. So and that's not an easy step by any means. But, you know, but Kelly, I mean, again, man, thanks so much for all of our listeners who are perhaps interested. We'll post all these links and provided everything, even the link to Kelly's podcast in the show notes. So, Kelly, again, thanks for coming on, man. Always a pleasure.
2: My pleasure, you guys. Thanks so much.
0: Thank you for attending class today. And we hope that you learned something and gained value from the content.
1: If you'd like to schedule office hours with us, feel free to add us on Twitter at HET Podcast, on Instagram, HET Podcast, on Facebook, the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast, and the homepage, healthcareeducationtransformationpodcast.com.
0: And for those of you following along in the syllabus... Extra credit can be obtained by liking us, sharing us, and leaving a review.
1: Let's continue our journey up Mount Educational Success as lifelong learners.